Welcome to the best works of emerging explicit romance authors. Our curators select a wide variety of tales about the lifelong human quest for satisfying, lasting, and meaningful expressions of sexual health. Steamy Stories Daily Podcast focuses primarily on short stories. Explicit Novels Daily Podcast presents longer format novels over a span of episodes. Subscribe to both Steamy Stories and Explicit Novels in your favorite podcasting app. And now, today's story. Kale Defeats the Illuminati, Book 3, Part 13. Hannah Shines and I Arises. I Final Stand. Listen to the podcast at Explicit Novels. It is selfish to believe that your family will always love you. At some point you will be asked to earn it, 7.35 a.m. Sunday, September 7th last day, right where we left off my rage over Aya wasn't called into question or challenged. Practicality had trumped tradition in the inevitable Amazon fashion. The only one elevated in anyone's eyes was Aya. Krasimira's apparent political adventurism was probably hard for the others to deal with. But in context, only Mati, Katrina and St. Marie had seen her denounce Hayden, so this seemed a new side of Krasimira to most people in the room. Krasimira wasn't the spiritual authority that was Hayden. She wasn't the generalissimo that was St. Marie. Katrina and I were both appointed officials, we retained our house status. St. Marie would die a member of House Inara and join her ancestors with pride. Her litany of accomplishments were well known to the host. But Krasimira? She would die a member of House Sibylle, unheralded. The keeper of records recorded the feats of others, not their own. Nearly two generations ago, a young Krasimira had joined the keeper's house as a guardian to an unremembered, saved by her, Augur. The Augur passed and she took up other duties within the house. When the old keeper faced her final months, she elevated Krasimira to her spot. High Priestess Hayden had approved the choice without really knowing who Krasimira was. No one outside the house of the Keeper had personal bonds with her anymore. Seamlessly, she had sat in the Old Keeper's seat and the council kept chugging along. For the past eight years, she had sat quietly at Hayden's side and only speaking when addressed. Mostly, she did nothing overt. The actual note-taking was done by an underling. The Keeper took her own private notes squirreled away in her mind, to be written when she was by herself. Those notes would be handed over to her successor, for the keeper's eyes and theirs alone. I don't think Krasimira knew me in particular when she dutifully followed Hayden into these chambers the day my death, or life in a cage, was bantered about. It was the day we first crossed paths. She would have known of Shani's request for the tooth of an Ishirin, though she lacked the authority to ask why. She wasn't a voting member of the council. But when Shani made her claim, Krasimira hadn't balked in her support, despite the oddity of Shani's declarations, I was indeed Ishera and my sisters could not dispose of me. The outrage of the others meant nothing to her. She pursued her obligations with true Amazon fearlessness both inside and outside of the council. On the night of the second betrayal, a keeper had sat there in silence as her fellow Amazons, the Ashmen, were sentenced to an unjust death. She'd had neither the numbers nor the authority to alter events, what else could she have done? So the keepers kept track of the names of 19 unaccounted for Ash men. For what purpose? An episode of Amazon history no one would ever want to revisit? Yet in my hour of need, coming back 2,600 years was the name Vrainus of Ishera, sitting only a few keystrokes away. No one, save a few Aranite diehards, wanted to know the truth of the Amazon Ash men, and even they didn't want to remember us as individuals. To them, Vrainus existed as a notation on the secret charter of the Aranite Sons. To Krasimira, Vrainus had been a living, breathing warrior of the host, not even dead, still mythically fighting the enemies of our race because his death had never been officially recorded. With my appearance, I stood in mute testimony to his death, and that of his sons and their sons for a damn long time. Still, I hated playing catch-up. With the Amazon custom of adoption, had no one asked if another possible Ishirin heritage still persisted? I would bet they had. And I'd bet they had sought for that knowledge in the roles of the host, always finding that pathway devoid of hope. But if the Keeper had known, why had she kept quiet? Pride, shame, Krasimira's words, we show anger when we should show humility. We are proud of our shame. We are arrogant of our weaknesses. 
We have heaped insult upon insult on our ancestors, yet are now aghast that they turn away from us, I had confused her soliloquy with that of an accusation, not the long-held understanding of her office. Even staring extinction in face, the modern host hadn't truly accepted the answer, the line of Rainus. Faced with the truth, the Amazons would have forgotten the descendants of Rainus all those centuries ago in the same way they forgot all the other ash men on the day I was brought into the host. But the keepers did something more than maintain the roles and records of the Amazons, more than watch over the augurs and make sure their messages made it to the proper ears. They safeguarded the truth. No matter what the council decided and the high priestess commanded, the keepers remained honest stewards of the real history of the Amazons. Why? The Amazons were terribly practical and the truth could run contrary to the needs of political reality. Honesty wasn't a highly stressed Amazon virtue, loyalty was. So was bravery. And thus generation after generation of keepers had lied to the council and the high priestesses. Every time those august personages had committed something to the nothingness, the keepers had defied them and not forgotten. The first heads of the first twenty houses had surrendered their names for the unity of their people, but the keepers remembered. All twenty of those women had been of the Amazon tribe of the Pala people living on the southern coast of the Black Sea when the Trojan Wars began. Over time, their true blood descendants had founded new houses and been adopted into others. Aya was truly a daughter of Kururiyasi, I had no doubt of that anymore. Had she not shared the same blood as the first Amazon, Krasimira wouldn't have brought Aya and Quinn together. Resurrecting an ancient tradition in a complicated fallacious coup attempt wasn't in her, nor was such a maneuver even a necessity. The host would elect a regency eventually and Saint Marie was handling the war in a highly competent fashion. So Krasimira hadn't sought out the heirs of Rhaenys, yet when one appeared, she welcomed him. And when she stepped into the president's office with Hayden while waiting for me to be brought upstairs to face judgment that night, I imagine sending Hayden to the cliffs was the farthest thing from her mind. The rest were playing politics, gender politics, and couldn't see the truth staring Krasimira in the face. The truth was a bitch and didn't play favorites, or worry about the sensibilities of others. Krasimira had seen her sisters refusing to acknowledge the ugly reality they had created for themselves. Krasimira wasn't an advocate for Ishera, that was my job, and my crappy performance was something between Dot and me. She wasn't an advocate for the males and the new directive. That was what Katrina was for. No, like a hundred keepers before her, Krasimira was the silent sentinel for the truth and, the truth didn't care about anything but the truth. The assassin is indeed in this room. Its name is Amazon was a rather grand pronouncement from the chief librarian, wasn't it? Krasimira didn't chastise Hayden. That wasn't her place. Technically, neither was she disputing Hayden's ability to rule. This wasn't the climax of a dinner theater whodunit. The crime before the high priestess was high treason and I was the preordained guilty party. My ally, Katrina Epona, had not been an advocate for my defense. No. Again in my hour of need it was Krasimira. Lacking any true authority, she had defied her sisters and made her definitive statement. What truly transpired was Krasimira staring Hayden straight in the eyes and saying you cannot lie your way out of this one, High Priestess. We, as in all the keepers past and present, will not let you. Had she used those words, Saint Marie would have gotten around to asking what Krasimira meant. Krasimira would have rather died, because once those bitches discovered their nerdy sisters hadn't erased a damn thing in three thousand years, they would insist they do so immediately. Krasimira wasn't about to do that. Thanks to the chaos surrounding Hayden's departure, no one had confronted her over her crucial action. To put it more precisely, the Golden Mare had been too busy and Mahdi had been wrapped up in Hayden's decree and the resulting pressure on the heads of house to pick the regency. Katrina was probably a case of I'm not going to ask you so you don't have to lie to me. The only other living person in the room when Hayden's fate was sealed was me, and I'd had my hands full as well. I had to think about what I should and could do. I couldn't beat her up over Aya any more than I could punish my issuance for their misplaced arrogance. I decided to extend a thank you, and not only for myself, but for every conceited bitch who had ever sat at this table, or all the other physical mediums the council had used before this one. We held three votes, the council couldn't collectively decide on how to implement Aya's other likes, one, so they agreed on her suggestion for a regency instead, two. The final vote was to set a date for the next council meeting, three.
a date within nine days of the winter solstice with the Regency to decide the precise date and give the House heads two weeks' warning. The last calamity at the meeting was initiated by a question of etiquette. How do we address the princess at council meetings, the head of House Hamlisut inquired of Krasimira. There is no precedent for addressing the Awarawa alone. By our laws, she is not truly Dumalyagalaya either. She is Nesasara, Krasimira responded. Queen. She is a child, a third house head declared, not an Amazon. No, Mahdi shook her head. A, Aya is uncasted. She bears an honorific presented to her by the leader of an established stronghold, summer camp, and confirmed by the golden mare minutes ago. Congratulations my Mamachu Masita, I winked to my past and present princess, you've just become a single-digit aged teenager. Go Aya, Daphne and Buffy whispered behind me. Aya raised her hand, waiting for St. Marie's recognition. However, St. Marie moved steadily forward, declaring, until the Regency alters my decision, I decline assigning anyone to the Awarawa, heiress, whose sole purpose would be to stop her from sneaking off to endure her twelfth-year test. I judge it to be better we know where we placed her as opposed to failing to outsmart her as she needlessly proves to the host she is, in fact, already an Amazon of the host. Aya lowered her hand. Thus, Yes, Aya is an Amazon of the host and Aya will take her twelfth-year test because she wants to take it, won't let us talk her out of taking it and the rest of us had better accept it. So, she is our queen then? No one appeared to have an answer. Aya raised her hand once more. Yes, the golden mare smiled down at her. Am I in charge? Aya's other hand squeezed St. Marie's as she spoke in a barely audible voice. Perhaps. If I was in charge, I would like it if there was a law that declared the Queen of the Amazons would be officially represented by a regency until she becomes casted, and antedate the law by one hour so this never, ever comes up again, Aya kept looking up at St. Marie. Aya, Katrina exhaled. The council chamber was a mixture of awe, resentment and amusement. If Aya was queen, she could make such a law. The queenship was a Bronze Age autocratic institution designed to provide leadership to a state in near-constant warfare with his neighbors. It was guided by oral traditions and military necessity, not written laws. As long as the queens provided successes on the battlefield and through diplomacy, she was deemed fit to rule. The traditional way of choosing a house head was the same for the royal house, the ruling queen chose an heir. In the long list of queens, less than half had been the eldest child. No, those ancient war leaders picked the bravest, smartest and most successful daughters to succeed them. Their wisdom in those selections showed in the fact the Amazons had held off a male-dominated world for over 600 years before fatally marching off to answer an ally's call to fight in the Trojan War. I advise against it, St. Marie shook her head. You are young. You are also the only royal we have. Duty demands and sisters must always answer their sister's call. Translation, Aya was an adult now. It was similar to the first lesson Pamela gave me upon learning I was Ishera. We lived with bitches, it doesn't pay to play nice with bitches. Thank you, Aya nodded. She was thanking Saint Marie for the lesson, no matter how hard it was to accept. Krasimira coughed. Now that the matter is settled, she spoke. The matter wasn't settled. Krasimira was steamrollering the discussion. What do we call you, to Aya? I, oh, in a very small voice. Aya's brow furrowed and her tiny nose wiggled. I wish to be known by the legacy of my Anna, mother, and Ada, me, Kale. I will be Asiyayashamai. Love song? Daphne murmured to Buffy. Asiyayashamai? Krasimira asked for clarification. Love song was hardly the name of a fierce Amazon queen. The only other name I could come up with was Markapadusmine, which seemed less auspicious, she meeped. Markapadusmine meant tiny smile. Perhaps Taliyahala would be more auspicious? Saint Marie nudged Aya. War cry. Oh no! Aya balked. That's your job. What do you think your job is? The golden mare questioned, suddenly realizing she'd made the mistake of making assumptions where Aya was concerned. To go to the cliffs with twice as many Amazon daughters, each equal to the likes of St. Marie, Katrina, Oneida, Buffy, Elsa, Kohar and Tatify as exist today. We must not survive, or simply replenish our numbers. 
We must become stronger because the world is a terribly messed up place. She raised her wounded hand and splayed her digits for the others to see the two she was missing and has become too small for us to seek safety in hidden freeholds any longer. If we cannot hide, we must rule openly. We are Amazons. Having no equals, we must rule alone. The only people we can trust, really trust, are the sisters at our sides. My job is to advance my people's cause with both compassion and cruelty and I will do so alone, because the Amazon queen has no equals, only daughters. Not a sound. I could count out the individual fan blades recycling the air. Let our enemies tremble, Saint Marie nodded, repeating an earlier declaration. Asiyashimai, Krasimira intoned, making Aya's royal name official, before adding, Asiyashimai, you are mistaken about one thing. You are not alone. You have a Mamatu Masita. Oh, she perked up, shedding the gloom which surrounded her. She looked at me, our eyes met and we both grinned, then she giggled, and yet again, up her hand went. Yes? Saint Marie looked upon Aya respectfully and then at me with much suspicion. Is the Mamatu Masita of my Mamatu Masita also my Mamatu Masita? Aya asked. Just like old times, only Katrina was ahead of the game. Oh, by Epona, the spy mistress snorted. Kale Wako Ashera, who is your Mamatu Masita? Oh no, Saint Marie bristled. Ah, indeed, Krasimira nodded. An unlooked for bonus. Does someone care to enlighten the rest of us? The head of House Nemain prodded. Oh. That was Elsa. That's right. Oneida, she was definitely a fan of me and my spasmodic lifestyle. Waiko Ashara's Mamatu Masita, other Mamatu Masita, is Temujin, great Khan of the reborn Mongol Turkish Khanate and ally of the host, Saint Marie let them know. They are bonded by Kale risking his own life to save Temujin's. It is actually a privately understood and publicly declared fact. In Temujin's words to the international press when our Kale and our new queen were kidnapped, I believe Kale is still alive. If he wasn't, we would be seeing piles upon piles of dead enemy around him and his boon companion, clearly visible from orbit. Until they discover this carnal pit from hell, I am sure they are both still alive, Oneida added. Rada flashed ill-distilled hate her way. Shani, is your apprentice's mind addled with the birthing hormones of their child? Madi snipped. That was merely a cultural zing, not an attempt to expose my sinister erotic misdoings. Unfortunately, she was somewhat correct. Okay, she was totally correct. That was uncalled for, Shani graciously chided Madi, thus demonstrating her ignorance of the facts soon to be in evidence. Yes, I am carrying a child of Aranite and Ishera, Oneida proclaimed loud and proud. We share a warrior's love. I wasn't really sure how anyone else reacted to the news, because House Ishera exploded into violence. That is the politic way of saying Daphne and Juanita were trying to stop Buffy from beating me to death. Here was yet another Rishara baby, and it wasn't gestating inside her. I was too stunned to defend myself. And the old refrain, and then it got worse. Ta-saka tanda. In Hittite for you pig's ass, Rada howled. I missed her drawing her blade, vaulting to the top of the table and lunging at Oneida. Most of the Amazons in the room stood, yet held their ground. They weren't shocked into indecisiveness, only trying to understand the nature of the conflict before intervening. This was not the first your Amazon did something my Amazon found infuriating public threat they had to have dealt with. Rada was more volatile than the average woman of her breed and station, true, but a violent in-chamber assault? That wasn't the worst though. Oneida drawing her blade in an open challenge to Rada wasn't the worst either, nor was her shouting. He loves me. He merely saved you. Saint Marie yelling Ishera. Ishera, over and over again, demanding I put my house back in order wasn't the end of my woes, nope. Me being yanked free of my house furball into the volcanic gaze of Elsa as she seethed, Rada? Oh yeah, Elsa's people and Rada's people had a bit of a blood feud going on, how could I have forgotten that? But wait. Not Fabiola, gasped Messina, bizarrely assuming I slept with, okay, not such a huge assumption. Gale, voiced by the head of House Bendis, followed by Gale's I'm late. Damn it. I pulled away from Elsa, slightly. No. She only lets me ejaculate on safe days, to Messina, Fabiola's mom. Oh, come on. We had sex one time, to Gale of Bendis, and finally. 
Stop it, Tarada and Oneida, deep breathe. Really, with my most believable happy face plastered on. This is great news. No. No it wasn't, and I could read the ugly emotional undercurrents on the faces of everyone present, except Aya, who kept the faith. Ishara, Saint Marie rumbled. I held up one finger to forestall her wrath. Oneida, Radha and I have already decided to name our daughter Parvati. My daughter by Tatafi, ordained by the goddess to be the firstborn, will be named Shala while my first son will be called Harkasheni, white hair, I'd call him Raider when we were in the outside world. My daughter by Miyako Yuri will be named Suezurani, Fushishu in her mother's tongue, in honor of Sukunias. My, other relationships, I would have liked to say none of your business, except Amazon mothers, or not, those children would be of Ashara's blood and potentially their kin. Hannah and I are still thinking over names, the other three cases are, perhaps more complicated than we should get into this morning, I finished off. Yeah, my Illuminati aunt, the Hashishan advisor and my seven pillars kidnapper turned prisoner of war cases. Once the two crazy chicks, Buffy and Rada, were contained, things quieted down quickly. I was left with the opportunity to immediately make things worse. There were four angry Amazons, yet only one in urgent need of succor. I pulled away from Elsa successfully this time. Her emotional focus on me couldn't withstand the volatility washing over the scene. She'd make me pay for it later. Buffy, I'm all yours in 30 minutes, I touched her cheek. Juanita and Daphne didn't release her and I couldn't wait around for her blistering response. Oneida, please call me this afternoon so we can look to our next steps, I gave her my best I'm so happy everyone knows about our shared warrior's love, because lying was my only option at that second. I walked straight into the frothing Rada. My arms wrapped her up. As I pressed in, she collapsed onto me. The two Amazons, the head and apprentice of House Namu, released her into my care. Rada's sobs disturbed everyone present. They weren't thinking he's broken her. Had they felt that way, I would have been attacked. No, they were worried that Rada, like too many of their daughters, was weak in the mind. I curled her body into mine as I went to the floor. As few people as possible around us needed to participate in our private moment. Madi was coming around the table rapidly. I had to move fast. Hey, I whispered to her. You have a knife. Why are you not stabbing me? I am shattered inside, she sobbed. No, no, you don't, I kissed her forehead, aborting her pity party. Get up right now, or no more kitten showers for you. Rada jolted. I had blindfolded and bound her, then let kittens lick her body. Afterwards, we had shared our first shower together. What, hissed Madi. I had visions of day number two on the job and her whipping me with my own belt. Rada has been protecting me since the day we first met, I looked up into Madi's eyes. She has been making sure I didn't flee after I knew your secret, though it took Oneida to explain to us why it was so. Right Oneida? I didn't look at Oneida. I gave her no hint on how to proceed. I'm a horrible influence on the hearts and minds of true romantics. Yes. I once found them in combat. I also misunderstood Rada's desires, yet attest to my sister's fierceness, Oneida backed me up. We continue to disagree over where Kale's attentions are best directed, she tacked on. Whoops. I should have, Rada mumbled. Her next words would have been killed you, so I smothered her lips with a kiss. As I pulled her head back I mouthed stabbed me. Rada stabbed me. I winced. Fuck, I grunted. You stabbed him, the apprentice of Namu declared. He has left himself vulnerable, Rada sniffled. He should know better by now. You are teaching him, she and Madi queried at the same time. He's a male, Rada answered with more confidence and affection. She also snuck me a smile. Yep, I had masked her vulnerability with my own silly male. Did anyone buy our deception? Not hardly. Once more it was a case of the lie you prefer over the obvious evidence. It was good to have friends too. Kale Wako Ashera, Beyonce spoke up, how many heirs to Ashera are there now and what happened to the no sex for the first 84 days policy? I grabbed the proffered social lifeline with gusto. I regained my feet, pulling Rada up with me. 10. I looked over to Gail of House Bendis, 11. As for the 84-day rule, I am a reprehensible human being, 
the poster child for unreliable males everywhere, glib of tongue and when I find a woman I resonate with, I can't stay away. Ah yes, me and my old literary favorite resonate. He's been lying to us, 10, and what does resonate mean? Best daddy ever. Queen Ayat declared in her piping fairy voice. Wait, one woman's scream overwhelmed the others. It was Feed Miliki. Is this what you do to our enemies? Tear them apart from inside? She was looking at me. Yes, it is, a lie, well, such things were her job, not mine, Katrina nodded. He is far harder on them. Witness the piles of dead he has lain before us in defense of our children, in revenge of the Hylonomy and to protect our queen. Ask the seven pillars and condottieri how much they hate and fear the name Ashera over all other Amazon houses. Better yet, ask a member of the Earth and Sky, or Nine Clans if they would unite our forces against our enemies without the clever counsel of Ishera. That last sentence might have been scoffed at, it certainly was derided with snorts and sneers by many initially. Then those Amazons saw the grim acceptance on the faces of their house sisters based in Africa, India and Indonesia, the front lines of the struggle. To them, the alliance with the Nine Clans was fresh on their minds and deemed critical to any hope of success. The seizure of the PRC's South China Sea Island bases had been a combined effort of the Black Lotus, three Amazon houses and the ENS. The theft of the nuclear aircraft carrier had been a combination of the same factors with even greater risk of exposure, yet none denied the morale boost which permeated the host because of the humiliation their warriors had heaped upon the seven pillars. The trust their sisters had exhibited toward non-Amazons was appalling to the skeptical, although obviously necessary in hindsight. After all, defending your freeholds was important, yet every Amazon knew you won wars on the offensive, attacking, killing and seizing things from your enemies was the pathway to victory. We cannot ask Ajax, Rada turned to Mahdi. Kale killed him for us. Did you really kill Ajax, Mahdi's eyes burrowed through my soul, the way we were told you did? Did I feed him to the goddess Salanya? I looked to make sure this was the version of events Saint Marie had conveyed to the council. It was. Yes. I swear to you all, but it would not have been possible if Quenemai had not rekindled her love for her people and Bolo of Iluyankamunis had not remained steadfast and loyal when the rest of the host betrayed him. Eternal love and deathless loyalty had as much to do with the death of Ajax as Salanya's might and any cleverness I can lay claim to. In truth, Ajax should have feared the Amazons. Three thousand years ago, he belittled, betrayed and humiliated us. In turn, we tricked him into his own death. When given a second chance at life, he did the last thing any Amazon would do, he repeated the exact same mistake and paid for it with his life, again. Amazon love, loyalty, strength and wit are as strong today as they've ever been. He didn't learn from his mistakes, that is the real reason he's dead. 150 words to basically say yes, Saint Marie muttered. Those are the words of an ash man, Oneida sighed amorously. Saint Marie was correct. I could have used one word instead of 150. I didn't because of people not yet present in this room. Every word spoken in council was officially recorded unless the keeper of records was told to commit it to the nothingness. From this day forth, when young Amazons girls would be told the stories about our most recent wars they would hear about the slaughter of the Hylonomy and the vengeance visited upon their slayers. Sure, I'd play a prominent role. Ajax's return was intertwined with the return of Hausishera and that meant me, Kale, Vrainus Air. Salanya would get the credit for the kill, which would make everyone happy. An Amazon queen couldn't even land a blow on him 3,000 years ago, so a male Amazon having to feed him to a goddess was just fine in their book. Bizarrely, clever tricky men were okay. It was the macho heroes which gave them problems. Now, with my hastily conjured prose, I had reminded everyone Quenemai was there as well. At the Seven Skulls, she had begun her path to redemption. Amazons were big on killing traitors, not rehabilitating them. Without Quenemai's betrayal of Ajax to me, there would have been no revenge and no birth of House Salanya. When those Amazon lore mistresses repeated my words in the future, their daughters would ask, who was Bolu of Iluyankamunis? And then the lore mistresses would have to say, Bola was an ash man and it was his devotion and that of his descendants which brought Salanya to fight at Kale's side that day. Fuck it all. He deserved at least a mention for all his courage and devotion. I had to believe when the Aranidae handed him their three sons and his orders, he knew something wasn't right. 
Vrainus was a young man and gripped by the immediate desperation of his people. Bolu, though, was a seasoned fighter. More to the point, by his mid-thirties, he was a senior member of his house and most certainly his voice had been heard around the council fires of the Ilian Communis. In that moment, as the Aranite spoke, did he want to confer with the elders of his house first? Did he ask about any of his own sons or daughters? He was certainly old enough to have had a few. Or, did he look into their eyes and know the truth? You have butchered my sons and nephews, and my daughters and my sisters let them die. And then he carried out his mission anyway. Because he was an Amazon and, unlike his sisters, he would never surrender to despair, no matter how grim the outlook or heavy the odds. Unable to save his own offspring, he saved the three children of Aranite and the one young warrior of Ishara. From Dot Ishara's own description, old Vrainus wasn't terribly bright, yet the five had survived. Hell, they'd thrived. 2,600 years later, Bola's actions had not only saved the true House Ilian Communis, now Salanya, he'd saved House Ishara too, and through me, House Anat, Saku, and the royal house of the Amazons through Quenamayanaya, and he'd lived long enough to have another family and teach them to be good little Amazons, even passing on the Hittite cuneiform in their religious practices. I couldn't imagine his final night before taking himself to the cliffs. Would he die alone without a goddess and ancestors to welcome him? Would the religion he had passed on to his children be a lie? It hadn't. He was no augur. He had no way beyond faith to be sure. Still, he jumped. Generation after generation had taken themselves to the cliffs after him as well, proving his lessons had taken hold. For all that and more, I could give him a mention in our official records, his fierce determination reaching through the millennia, guiding me to my rendezvous with Ajax. To answer the question which led us to this revelation, Krasimira interjected. The phrase is, Mike is Cassetta. That is the formal greeting of Amazons to their queen. Mike is meant from many become one, the ancient Amazon pledge which I felt had been echoed many centuries later, all for one and one for all. Mike is Cassetta, they repeated. Thank the goddesses, Saint Marie groaned. Meeting adjourned. Thank you for remembering, Krasimira, a moment in private. I requested, as soon as the council meeting was concluded. She nodded. We walked side by side out of the chamber and into the hall. When the noises of the others grew muted, I dismissed Buffy, Juanita, and Daphne. Krasimira motioned her followers to give us room as well. Two things, I exhaled. I placed a hand on her upper arm, stroking it affectionately. I doubt she'd ever beheld the gesture before. She was uncertain. First, thank you. Thank you for all that you and the other keepers have done down through the ages. Thank you for the loneliness you have endured. I will take the reason for my thanks to the grave. You have been right. No one else should ever know. Secondly, I humbly request you tell me her name. I would like to use it when I greet her when I pass. I imagine she hasn't heard it in a long, long time. By her I meant Yako Ishera. The second question was both a quest to determine if I had guessed right about how things had unfolded and as an indicator that I sympathized with her burden. Firstly, you are welcome. Secondly, whose name are you referring to, she smiled. Yep, I was right. It is okay. Thank you, Ishara. If I give you a fortune cookie to give to your goddess, will it remain unopened except for her eyes alone? Krasimira offered. Yes. I have never given a direct offering to a goddess before, she nodded. I would like to try. I will have the fortune cookie delivered to you before 5 o'clock Monday afternoon. Take care, Ishara, she bowed an inch, or two, then slipped past me and left. Spinning plates, I walked into my place right before 9. Odette was spending the day with her parents, so I had promised myself a little unwinding time. Sovan, Timothy's Cambodian-American boyfriend, was on the sofa, hair wet, towel around his shoulders and boy shorts underwear on, with nothing else, looked my way. Juanita was right behind me. At least they had met before. The shower was running. Hey Sovan, I headed his way. Good night last night? Yeah, he grinned. How's life been treating you? Stuff I can't talk about, I grimaced. Has Timothy talked to you about us getting a new place? Yes, he nodded. 
We are both of the opinion you need to keep the few sane friends you have. Ah, the advance in a relationship when the couple starts thinking of one of their friends as a friend of both of them. I appreciate it, I grinned. I was about to plop down on the sofa beside him when I recalled my company. Juanita, can I get you anything? No, she paused then, what's next on the agenda? I am planning on hanging around for a half hour before calling my neighbor in 3F and inviting her out to brunch. She's done a great deal for me and, since I'm about to move out, I figure I would like to repay her kindness before I go. He means fuck her, Juanita sniped. Sovan arched a questioning eyebrow. Rough morning meeting, I mumbled. As my ass hit the sofa cushions, the shower cut off. Juanita's displeasure over the revelation of my sexual misadventures earlier this morning was amplified by the idea I might be talking shop with non-Amazons. I talked down Buffy at Havenstone after the meeting. She had official business to take care of, which curtailed her ability to make my life miserable at the moment, so Juanita felt obliged to take over those duties. I had about had it with that shit. I was reordering my thoughts for the umpteenth time since Aya had become queen and I'd become a father ten times over when Timothy came out, a towel around his waist. One look told him something was wrong with my soul. Bro, he murmured. I stood up as he approached. He wrapped me up in a hug. Sovan joined us a few seconds later. After a bit Timothy pulled back. What can you tell me? They screwed Aya over big time, I sighed, and I'm going to be a dad more than once. Every one woman I know is either too good for me, or violently bitchy fucking nuts. Sovan stole a quick glance Juanita's way. Timothy didn't. We were planning on catching a 12.30 showing of as above, so below. You should come along, Timothy suggested. Normal guy stuff. I could invite the girl in 3F, I amended the offer. We could do brunch at the Egyptian place first. Great, Timothy grinned. You go ask her, and I'll get dressed. As I was heading for the door, he called out from the bedroom. One of your Kazakh buddies stopped by after they found out we were moving. They have scouted out a few place for their prince, aid in fact. They left a bundle for us to consider. Ugh. My brother, the great Khan, had heard I was moving, was currently living like a pauper and decided to do something about it. My 2014 tax returns were going to be, interesting. Juanita tailed me to 3F. I rang the doorbell and waited. Movement, hesitation, hey, through the door. It is Kale Nihilus from down the hall, I responded. You've been kind to me on numerous occasions and I've been remiss in thanking you. My roommate, his boyfriend, my buddy and I are going out for brunch and a movie and I'd like it if you could come along. I apologize for the short notice. My life's been a mess recently. Oh, oh, she gasped. Hold on. I could make out the sounds of her running around before the door swung open. She was blushing in embarrassment and it wasn't hard to see why. Her place as a pigsty. The girl in 3F was cute, zesty and vibrant 5 feet 2 inches and 110 pounds. She was busty, braless with dark coppery hair pulled back in a loose bun and pale skin. She was wearing a white wife beater and cut off jeans, no socks or shoes. Both were stained. Her place was a mess with discarded fast food containers, pizza boxes, grocery bags, shipping boxes and other such debris lying about. Come in. Let me get dressed, she ushered me, us in. This is my bodyguard, Juanita. She's going to take a quick peek around then make herself scarce, I tried to smooth things over. In this dump? Juanita scoffed cruelly. I don't know where to begin. Blink. The girl in 3F's lower lip trembled and her eyes grew watery. She sniffled. I'd had it with everybody. That is uncalled for, I said in a dead voice as I pivoted toward Juanita. Go home. Juanita glared. I don't mean my home. I mean home as in wherever you go when you aren't with me, because you are past being on my last nerve. Don't call in a replacement either. I've had it with you and your fucking attitude and today, right now, I am pulling rank. Get out of my sight. I'll be out in the hallway, Juanita backed away. No, I shook my head. You are not welcome in Ishara's presence for the rest of the day. Your crass words to a person who has only shown me kindness were the last in a long list of insults today which have had a detrimental effect on my quality of life. 
Go home and contemplate your failure. She tried to match Wills with me with her gaze. Let me at least call in a replacement before I go, she retreated. No. You are being unreasonable. Yes I am. A minute ago, you ceased being worthy of an explanation. I'm sorry, 3F spoke up. I didn't mean to make you and your friend get into a fight. We aren't fighting, I kept my eyes on Juanita. She made me a promise to respect my desire to live a somewhat private life. The way she treated you is showing the utmost disrespect to both you and me. She assumed no matter how horrible her behavior, I would stomach it. And I'm letting her know she's mistaken. Goodbye Juanita. Don't do this, Ishera, Juanita tried to guilt me by authority. You should have thought over your obligation to our house before you opened your damn mouth and insulted my neighbor, Juanita. The next words out of your mouth will be taken as an assault on my prestige. Basically, a fuck you to Juanita for being a bitch and then trying to guilt me out of over me punishing her over lousy attitude. By sending her away, I was punishing her, there was no doubt of that in my mind. The agreement I had with my bodyguards was simple, I accepted the necessity of their presence because my life really was in danger and they accepted I wished to maintain some illusion of normalcy. Juanita crossed the line, again, and I'd had enough, so now Noishirin was going to be around to both protect me and intrude on my normalcy and I was forcing the responsibility for my decision on both of us, because it was her fucking fault. Juanita bowed slightly, turned and left. Oh, she'd be calling this in. The difference was, she'd have to explain I was furious and why I was furious and that would make Buffy furious with her. And deep down, Juanita knew she was in the wrong. The next bodyguards to show up would either be highly discreet, or someone I couldn't easily shove away. I had an immediate emotional crisis to deal with. I, the girl in 3F mumbled, looking at everything, but me. You know, your decision to give the maid the week off was really inopportune, I grinned at her. Ah. Uh, she was stumped. I owe you a favor, or three, don't I? I inquired. You don't have to look at it that way. She evaded verbally while making eye contact. Deal, I widened my smile. We are going out to the Egyptian place a few blocks over. Get dressed. While you are doing so, I'm going to go completely OCD on you and pick up your living room. Pretend to be surprised when you come out, I finished with a chuckle. You, ah, uh, don't have, ah, uh, to, she worked through the weirdness of it all. My smile won her over. Good. Get dressed. I'll call my roommate and his boyfriend to hurry over here and help. Hurry. My place is a mess, she gulped. But it won't be, and face it, after seeing me and my bodyguard get into a spat after her beyond rude behavior and my offer to clean up your apartment, today can't get much more bizarre, now can it? Yes. Yes it could, but by burying the bizarreness of me and Juanita, I was actually doing her a tangible favor, cleaning up her place, and taking her out with the option for sensuality later. Oh, you are right. That was pretty weird, she agreed with an impish smile. I'll get dressed. She skipped off to her bedroom. I called Timothy and had him and Sovan hotfooted over to 3F with a box full of trash bags. Her place was a mess, capital M. Take an impossibly awkward situation of finding a guy you are sexually curious about, his gay roommate and his gay roommate's boyfriend in your apartment's main room cleaning up the place and turn it into a game. 45 minutes later, Fetty, Theodora, wasn't sure why she felt embarrassed about having the three of us over. We put 16 extra-large trash bags on the curb along with her old sofa. We gave her our brand-new sleeper sofa since we would soon be departing. I was also giving her my relatively new bed, we would work out a deal on my suspension equipment. We chiseled her old carpet off the floor, it was beyond gross, tore out her garbage disposal, it was developing intelligent life, and cleaned her bedroom and bathroom too. All along, we bantered about numerous topics including, Sovan, so what do you do for a living? Fetty, I'm a sound technician, I dub four, pornos, me, my, how bizarre. I love porn. Have you done anything I may have listened to? Fetty, maybe, I also sell the soundtracks of your sexcapades. She was blushing, shuffling her feet and looking down as her confession spilled forth. Fetty, I saw a girl break into your place, but didn't report it. Was that okay? Timothy, what did she look like? Sovan, was she armed? Me, hey now. Sovan, you're right.
Stupid question. Of course she was armed. Fetty, really? Me, plenty of women show up to my place unarmed. Odette has never shown up armed. Neither has Brooke or Libra. Timothy, it is so sad when it is easier for you to name your unarmed girlfriends than your armed ones. Me, it is not that bad. Timothy, yes it is. Me, no it isn't. Sobin, yes it is. Shall I name five? Me, fine, I hung my head. Let's not. Fetty, do you hang out with really deadly women? Me, define deadly dot. Timothy, yes, he does. Sobin, bro, it's gotten so bad, Odette started giving a technical critique to the last action movie we watched together. Me, that's not my fault. Timothy, right. It's your crazy grandmother's and your buddy in the SAS faults. Me, Pamela's not really my grandmother and he's not in the SAS. He's in the SRR. They're totally different. Fetty, I noticed you didn't say she wasn't crazy, and who is the SRR? Timothy, the British Special Reconnaissance Regiment. Me, they're big map and compass people. Sylvan, like big, delicious Boy Scouts. Timothy, with guns. Sylvan, oh. He had a gun, and then Timothy threw a coach pillow at him. Fetty, I'm sorry that guy tried to kill you. Pause as we three looked at each other. Timothy, which one of us? Me, which time? Sylvan, hang out with Kale and you'd be surprised how many people show up trying to kill you, or him, or someone else. Fetty, really? The cult of the Jaguar, we were walking back from the eatery. They were walking from the direction of Casa de Timothy, heading our way. There were five Latinos, two girls and three guys. To put it more accurately, there was one lady, one woman, and three men. To say it like it was, there was one spirit creature, one priestess savant and three foot soldiers. As previously revealed, the various members of the nine clans operated differently. The cult of the jaguar operated like a cult. They had a mess of flunkies at the lowest level, castoffs, ex-drug users, the insane and those not quite right in the head. Essentially those people operated as a nearly endless supply of cannon fodder for the cult's activities and served as a base of worship for the cult's divinities. Next up the ladder you had the messengers. Normally, they were not actually part of the cults, instead running the more mundane operations the cult, Big C, owned and operated as well as interacting with the various cults, Little C. Often messengers worked for the cult for generations in family businesses with some members not knowing the totality of their involvement with the criminal underworld. Then you had the priestly caste. Priests, priestesses, savants and priests slash savants, the priests and priestesses performed rites, led rituals and ran the organization. Savants, like my Amazon augers, had mystic powers granted slash cursed to them by interactions with supernatural beings. In the cult, there were four ways to get your priestly caste. You could train them. Some divinities had schools who trained their leadership up from a young age. Like any other profession, you learned and progressed as you grew older. Or, a divinity could imprint the knowledge in you. I understood those priests and priestesses burned out rather rapidly. Lest we forget, this was a cabal of ruthless killers we are talking about. You could also create a savant in the same method spiritually twist some poor soul to serve a purpose. Their life expectancy wasn't worth writing home about. Or, you could breed them, yeah. Breeding people with supernatural horrors, and these were my allies. Of course, being walking talking abominations to the we've had its own psychological pitfalls, and, at the top of the individual cults were things like the lady coming at me right now. I'd been briefed about them and theorized I could make one out for what it really was because of my own mixed-up noggin, and I was right. Heading up each individual cult in the cult of the Jaguar were avatars for the various divinities within the cult pantheon. Despite its name, the cult of the Jaguar was not devoted to the Jaguar, the animal, or even the Jaguar god, alone. It was an amalgamation of various northern and southern Native American divinities, okay fucking nasty ass. Divinities who feasted on death to keep a toehold in our reality. They had not gotten along with Christianity, nor agreed with the Weave's verdict that their time had passed. The Weave's response was pretty clear. It had things like measles and smallpox to undercut those divinities' worship base to which these powers had no counter. 
Every other pantheon had retired into legend, like the Amazon goddesses, or behind layers of mundane ritual, like the Hindi. These guys, and gals, refused to accept the message and still practiced that old-time religion. How they ended up in the Nine Clans wasn't explained to me. They killed people, that was for damn sure. The only true assassins were the cult leaders. Of all the Nine Clans, they were the worst. No person had ever survived having a contract accepted by the cult of the Jaguar, no amount of hiding, running, or fighting back had ever saved anyone. They always killed their targets. Always. The reason was their leaders weren't human. They were monsters, think Grendel from Beowulf's saga. Sure they looked human on the outside. Somewhere around the tenth shotgun blast to the face, they looked a whole lot less human, but that didn't stop them. According to my ALO knowledge, you dismembered it rapidly, they healed pretty quick, and then burned the severed bits. He'd done it before, to more than one of them, just not this one, cause it wasn't like any of those creatures stayed dead, or forgave, or forgot a damn thing. Oh joy. Me, him, and our extremely distinctive emerald green eyes. As a final note, technically the cult of the Jaguar controlled all nine clans' territory in North and South America. In actuality, in Canada, they let the Brotherhood of the Wolf establish bases. In the U.S. east of the Mississippi and north of the Gulf, they allowed the Black Hand and Brotherhood to work. In Brazil and the Caribbean, they allowed the Coils of the Serpent to set up shop. All three did so knowing they operated under sufferance of the cult and the cult didn't fuck around. So, why didn't they send a representative to my father's funeral? They had no clue who he was, or how things would turn out. Send the head of a cult? Dad wasn't worthy enough. Recall, the earth and sky sent Iskander, not someone of note at the time. Sending a mere messenger would have been insulting to the Amazons. Instead, they let the other nine clans handle it, and look how that turned out. Or, I'm a fucking idiot. And back to me. No one outside the cult of the Jaguar knew the precise number of composite cults made up the organization, but many of the divinities had a history. I was looking at, the obsidian butterfly, okay a walking patch of starless night in the form of a constantly mutating voluptuous, hourglass-shaped woman, bipedal bat and eight-winged butterfly. A quick mental background check matched to her image gave me a name, it's Papalotl, so the whacked-out sidekick had to be her half-human daughter. I had a feeling the various divinities didn't share offspring much, considering the spiritual investment actually breeding one took. Bro, Timothy whispered. Freaky-looking chick staring our way. Yeah. I'm afraid so, I agreed. I suddenly snuck an arm around Fetty who had picked up on our changing tone of conversation. I think we can take them, Sovan noted after studying them a moment. Let me clarify things for you, I snorted. Tricycle, 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 four by four, land leviathan. Yeah, we could kick the three guys' asses. Their basic brutality couldn't compensate for Sovan and Timothy's courage, bulk and brawling expertise. They were essentially for show anyway. The priestess savant looked pretty young, say 19 to 23 and fit, but not martially adept. I could take her. Timothy, or Sovan probably. Could take her, being bigger and stronger. The avatar was utterly deceptive in her lethality. None of us stood a chance against such a creature. I feel weird, Fetty shivered. She pressed tightly against me. Ever had a near-death experience? I asked while keeping my eyes forward. Yeah. How did you know it felt like that? Fetty looked up at me. I was peripherally aware of her head movement. Call it a hunch. That chick is seriously weirding me out, Sovan muttered. And she's looking pissed, Timothy added. Oh yeah. She was probably trying to mystically scope me out and getting nowhere, thanks to Dot Ishera. Bitch, not Dot. We were closing with their group fast. I had to think faster. Take this, I handed Fetty my food container. I drew forth my phone and called my number 5, number 6, no number 7 go to gal. Esther, I opened up. Esther Abed, the Hashishan assassin and current 9 clans liaison with Jicket. Yes Kale? Did you send someone to meet with me? Yes. Per your office's request, an emissary should be talking to you momentarily. I was led to believe your schedule had opened up. Is there a problem? Composition of said embassy?
I was supposed to be, it isn't a messenger, is it? Nah. Are you in danger? Hmm, too late now. Give Buffy a very special fuck you very much in case I never get to see any of you ever again, I jibed. Kale, I've got a not amused Batgirl to talk to. Take care. I'll update you later, and I hung up. What else could either of us say? To get around my peak and still protect me, Buffy had sent in the nine clans to chat with me, not understanding the nature of the chatters. In the past, Esther and Miyako had both protected me and calmed me down. Oh well. Kale Wako Ashera, the lady greeted me. Yep. This is Timothy, Sovan, and Thetty. We are on our way to see as above, so below, dot. I took the initiative. She was confused. It's a movie. That is not why, listen, I cut her off. I apologize in advance for my brusque manner, but I'd rather try to ass-fuck a wild rhino than discuss business right now. I know who and what you are and I don't care. For the next 18 hours I'm a 22-year-old directionless moron who doesn't want to see things. Man was not meant to see, the restless dead, or the look of disappointment on a woman's face. I don't mean to insult you. You are merely on the tail end of a three-month-long conga line which has been stomping all the happiness out of my goddamn life, so smile and say hey, a movie sounds like a great idea and join us, let us go on our way for now while promising me endless agony later like every other fucking divine bitch in my life, or give me 30 seconds to say goodbye to these nice normal people then I'm going to draw down on your merry little band of murderers and you're going to kill me, or I'm going to kill the rest and seriously inconvenience you. Now, has anything I said been unclear and, if not, can I please have my answer now? The movie starts in 30 minutes and I don't want to miss any of the previews. Tio Yadalni, she exhaled extenuating sexual menace. No, she had not given us her name. Nah, in the Almec derivative she was speaking, she had asked me do you know I am a goddess? One word cool. Akampa Nikokatsawaka Lawadalkuel Quitlananika, I responded smoothly. Loosely translated as no one in my shitty world gives a crap right now. Now I knew why Alol knew their lingo. What kind of body was he walking around in at this moment? It wasn't mine, my aunts claimed it wasn't his original one and Pamela had noted it wasn't right, the one time she'd met Alol since his return, and here I was looking at an avatar, which is basically a spirit made flesh. Fuck a duck. Somehow, somewhere along the line, Grandpa had figured out the mystic trick these divinities used. Probably through the judicious use of torture, because that's the kind of role model he was, the fucktard. He didn't have their full range of supernatural powers, so his avatar solution was temporary at best. Fuck, 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 fuck. I still had this problem at hand. A little body politics was going on. The Nine Clans delegation had stopped, but the avatar kept coming. Timothy knew better and Thetty was rightly terrified for no obvious reason. Sovan decided he had to do something. I know you are having a bad day, he quietly chastised me as he tried to step forward to confront the woman. Timothy's powerful arm slammed out like a crosswalk bar, stopping his progress. Don't, was all he said. The intensity of his tone was enough. I pushed Thetty away and to my rear. There was a blind, deaf-mute across town in a coma who knew this bitch was furious with me, him and about a million other New Yorkers. No one talked to her the way I had done, horrible fucking day be damned, and live long enough to joke about it. The priestess savant was distressed, not angry. Her guiding light in life was focused elsewhere. The three goons were equally adrift, yet their minimal attachment to social normalcy left them uncertain. There were precisely two things, okay, four things, keeping me alive. The fourth thing would come to her later when her furious was replaced by her curious as in how I knew her in human lingo which would lead to my legacy with grandpa. The top three reasons. She had poked my chest. It was a challenge, calling for one of my guardians to come out and play. The avatar knew I was the chosen heir of the goddess Ishera and my goddess had devoted a good deal of time and effort to my survival and continued service in her cause. If Ishera made an appearance, it would be enough reason to not eviscerate me for my foul treatment of her august personage. Nope. It seemed Ishera was busy at the moment. Still, she most likely knew Selanya had shown a keen interest in me in Romania, though I'd never told Selena, or any other member of the Nine Clans, the dragon's daughter had killed Ajax for me. 
Figuring out Solanya, a storm deity, had helped me and Aya escape from our kidnapping in the midst of a cyclone in the Pacific Ocean wasn't much of a reach. But no bolt of lightning coalesced from my chest to singe her finger. No clap of thunder. Not even a cloud with a hint of disfavor appeared above us. Her obsidian fingernail began penetrating my shirt, touched my skin, then drew my blood, and something twitched. That would be contestant goddess number three. She wasn't actually hanging around me. She didn't have to. She'd left me a memento of our last shindig before we parted ways. That was the nightmare-inducing episode where she, the thonic goddess Sarratter Kali, had compressed one man's body into a dagger and then proceeded to suck another's soul into it to use as a power source for an Airbus 350, a commercial airliner, if you didn't know. To be continued. I final stand for Literotica. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We hope you found pleasure and inspiration. Come back tomorrow as we continue to bring you more explicit romance tales and subscribe to our podcast feeds in your mobile devices to access our entire library of hundreds of daily episodes. Happy dreams.